Well, welcome to Sunday School, and we're going to be continuing to talk about that war that's within, and uh, we're going to talk about a very specific subject that I um, kind of had alluded to in a couple of occasions. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that, that we know about uh, what happens in this day-to-day life and that what we know that happens in the Christian life is that there are going to be times that we we fall. It's just going to happen. I mean, you take a look at every uh, man of God that was in Scripture, um, and and even those that were 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 uh, uh, you know in very high prestigious positions, and there was instances where they fell, they 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 slipped up, they they made uh, the mistake, uh, they sinned. And sometimes we're going to have that happen to us. We're going to fall to temptation. Uh, we're going to uh, be ensnared. We're going to, uh, if you will, stumble in our walk with Christ. But the one issue that we always have to remember about it is how we approach defeat. Now, obviously, we know that in the end, the greater victory is won by Jesus Christ. And he won the victory upon the cross. He talks about how he spoiled principalities and powers over in the book of Colossians. So we understand that concept. We understand what he talks about in 1 John, about how he's overcome the world and how we can overcome those things of temptation that are, are that, that occur in our day-to-day life, as he also mentions over there uh, in, in the book of Second uh, or 1 Corinthians. So, so we understand that concept. But the fact is, is that at some point in time, you're going to have a situation that you look at and you're going to realize, I just sinned. I did what I was exactly not supposed to do, and I have suffered a defeat in battle. Now, how we approach this, how we approach the concept, the mindset of when we lose, is of the most important. I want you to turn to 1 Peter chapter 4. <clears throat> First Peter chapter four. First Peter chapter four, um, in verse two, it says that he should no longer live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. This becomes the mindset of how we approach this concept. So when we sin, we are going to immediately be tempted with more sins right after that. And I'll talk about, you know, it's a cascading effect. The one time you slip up on one thing and you, you, you fall to temptation, you sin, the next thing that you're going to notice is that there's a lot more sins right after that that begin that downward spiral. And again, when I talk about downward spiral, I'm not talking about, as you know, many people talk about that cone shape where it goes down. That's not how sin works. Sin works in the opposite. You flip it upside down. It's like a pyramid. It starts at the top, and what happens? It begins to envelop more and more and more and more and more and more areas of your life. While it may be something that we thought was a simple, you know, if you will, non-consequential sin, the problem is, is it will begin to fester, it will begin to grow, and it will begin to take up other areas of our life that will envelop other sins along the way. And that's a problem with our Christian life because that's not what's supposed to happen. Now, we as Christians, we can always go back and start to, if you will, take care of those sins that we've done, but we've always got to go back to the, the, the root cause of what started it. Otherwise, we will never address the issue. So we have to realize wherein there is that, 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 that problem. If you will, go over to Psalm chapter 51 this time. Psalm chapter 51. This is, again, a very familiar passage. This is right after David um, sinned with Bathsheba. <clears throat> and here we have a man of God that was known as a man after God's own heart. We have uh, 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 Abraham, who was a friend of God. He, he, he made some pretty big uh, mistakes uh, known as the Ishmaelites. Uh, you know, there, there's still a bit of a problem today. Um, you, you, uh, you, you take a look at Moses and, and Moses, uh, he made a mistake instead of speaking to the rock, he struck the rock when he had already struck it, he struck it twice and he wasn't supposed to do that. And that cost him the promised land. 
But there's still, so there's always going to be consequences to the sin. But here, the, the, this man of God, David, a, a man after God's own heart, is the description that God gives to, to, to David here. Uh, he, he says here in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to, thy, uh, to the, ten, or, excuse me, the mer- multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. So again, we, we, we get to an issue where he begins to realize the, the concept of how bad the sin is. What he has done at this point. And this is where, when we are in that state of defeat, when we do lose a battle, how do we approach this? What's the mindset? You know, part of what we have to begin to understand is this, is as we look at Psalm chapter 51, we realize that the mindset is this, the loss is temporary. The loss is temporary. If there is one thing that I, 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 cannot emphasize more when we sin is get this understanding that the loss is temporary. Now I understand the concept of of reaping what you sow. And if you sow some pretty hard sin, you're going to reap some pretty hard consequences because the way of the transgressor is hard according to scripture. So what we have to understand is this, we're not looking for reprieve from consequences. But what we do need to understand is that that loss was but for a moment. We are not doomed for the rest of our life because we make one sin happen. Because we choose one time to do something. But I dare say we have to make sure we don't fall into a mentality of, and and this is what often happens, of, oh, I have sinned, I am doomed to sin this way for the rest of my life, this is the way I'm going to be, this is who I am. We have got to stop talking that way. Because that's not the case. Because there was a transformation that occurred when you trusted Christ as your Savior. Doesn't the Bible say, behold, all things have become new? Isn't there, isn't there a new creature in us? Isn't there a new man that is renewed after the righteousness of God? We, we, we have to understand that concept. Just because we sin once doesn't doom us for the rest of our life to those things. What we have to do is we have to approach that sin the right way. This is one of the major parts of the battle, because I guarantee you, every last one of us here has sinned since we've been saved. Every last one of us. Whether it was a wrong thought, whether it was a wrong word, whether you did something with your hands, your feet, whatever else it was, it doesn't make a difference. We have all done something in our life that has been against God's word, against his commandments, And therefore, as such, we have sinned against him. So we have to approach it. But we have to remember this, probably one of the greatest passages of Scripture. Turn to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. You may already have that memorized. Praise God if you do. But what what does that verse say? It says, for if we confess our sins, he, well, who's the he? That's God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we understand the concept of God's forgiveness. See, we often have a world mentality. We have a humanistic mentality. This is why humanism needs to be cast out of the church. It needs to be cast out of our lives. It needs to be cast out of our thought processes. We are not to think According to the world, we're not to be conformed to the world. We're supposed to have a transformed mind, which means we approach things in a biblical mindset. But what happens? Something goes wrong, and what is it that we do? All of a sudden, we can't forgive. Somebody wrongs us in such a way that really hurts us, now we can't forgive that person. We may say that we kind of, sort of forgive, but we hold a grudge against that person, Uh, let's just stop with that. That's a lie. You didn't forgive. Aren't you glad God doesn't hold things over your head? 
Aren't you glad God doesn't remind you every single day of of the stuff that you've done in your past? Aren't we glad and and, and blessed to have the Holy Spirit of God that comes alongside and comforts us? And, And when the devil tempts us and says, you know what, how worthless you are. And God comes along and his Holy Spirit talks to us and gives us gives us peace because he communicates the love and the joy that is found in Christ. We begin to realize that we don't have to accept that we're doomed to continue that sin. So we have to keep that mindset that the sin is temporary. Oh, back over in Psalm chapter 51, here he is, he's asking for forgiveness. He's asking for a blotting out of the transgressions. He's asking for forgiveness. Now, David wouldn't have asked for that if he didn't know that God was capable of doing it. And that is one of the greatest things that we can realize. David realized he he made a colossal mess. I mean, adultery, murder, and lies. And God is willing to forgive even that. But oh, good night. Somebody cuts us off on the road. We can't forgive them. You know, we, we, we can't live in that mindset because if we perpetuate that mindset that, that we're going to continue in that, then when we fall, the next result is, is we are not going to uh, understand the forgiveness of God and we're not going to understand how great he is. If you go back there to, to, to Psalm chapter 51, <clears throat> here he says uh, uh, um, in, in verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. And he's not talking about taking a bath. He's not talking about, you know, throwing on some, uh, some cologne. He's not talking about, you know, making sure he smells good. He's not doing anything of that nature. You know what he's doing? He's saying he wants his sin purged. He wants the sin removed. We're talking about Isaiah chapter 1. Come now, let us reason together. There your sins be scarlet, this will be white as snow. There is that concept that we understand about who God is and the forgiveness that we have there. So we have to understand that that loss is temporary. That that loss is temporary. But I dare say this, let's not just sin and go, oh, God will forgive me, forgive me, God, and then think that we're okay. That's not how this process works. Especially when you see what's going on in here in Psalm chapter 51 where he goes uh, uh, goes about and he says uh, in, in verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. He begins to desire something to be changed. He desires something to be changed. And I tell you, every single time we go through a process where sin is found and discovered in our lives, then the very first thing that we have to do is we have to endeavor to say, I am going to change, I am not going to continue in that sin. Because God says he forbids us continuing in sin. It has to stop. It has to stop. Turn over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. In Romans chapter 6, and uh, right there in verse 6, it says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And if you jump down there to verse 12, he says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it, in the lust thereof. Now here's the concept. Everybody is going to serve somebody. Even the world sings songs about that. And we realize the concept that we're going to either choose to serve God or we're going to choose to serve sin. There's no middle ground. And as a Christian, we have to make sure that we make the choice to not serve sin. It should not reign over us. It should have no authority. It should not dictate to us what we do. And furthermore, it shouldn't dictate our mindset. Because we have freedom and liberty in Jesus Christ. But we have a service that we serve, that we, we, we go to the Lord with, that we serve Him and be, by obedience, obey Him instead of the things of sin. 
So we begin to realize that we have to look at the mindset of service. Who is it I am listening to and who is it I am obeying? Now everybody's going to blame it on the devil. The devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You did it willingly. Don't, let's, let's not kid ourselves, all right? <clears throat> you know, th- th- there's those little things that are going out there in, in, in memes and it says, this is how I'll be abducted. You know, and it shows some guy standing out there with an armful of puppies or, you know, a armful of coffee or an armful of candy or, you know, whatever it is, whatever, quote unquote, our vice is, whatever it is that we adore. Now, I'll tell you this, there's some reality to that because the end result is, is we will be brought into bondage of sin if that is where the love of all of us is. If that's what we love, then we will fall into the bondage of sin. So when we look at this process here, what God's talking about, and he says we need to, you know, take a look at who we serve, we need to make sure that we're not continuing this. This concept that once you trust Christ as your Savior, and then all of a sudden you don't sin, is a blasphemous lie. Otherwise, you know what? Paul wouldn't have written, would not have written this down. He wouldn't have written this to believers talking about let not sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey the lust thereof. In verse 13, neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead as your and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. And sometimes people get this mindset of, oh, hey, I'm saved. I mean, you know, I can do whatever I want to do. No, no, you can't. No, you can't. You don't have that liberty. You don't have liberty under sin. What we have is we have this, we should have this desire to obey God. And stay in the laws of liberty therein. And he talks about looking into that perfect law of liberty. There's a law that governs it. Liberty is not freedom to do whatever you want to do. That's called anarchy. That's what the whole Antifa crowd's about. That's what all those the 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 the, the, the are about. We're not that way. We don't believe that. So we need to understand that the loss is temporary, but we also need to understand that we have to look at our life and we have to start asking some serious questions. You know, there's something that comes in, and it's the correction process. It's the correction process. The book of Proverbs talks a lot about correction. It talks a lot about the fool that will not will not yield to correction. And the end result is, is he's talking about there's a rod for the fool's back, and and so on and so forth, all these things. But what we realize is that there's very clearly a pattern that God wants us to follow for correction. Before we, we say, to go look at that, I want you to turn over to first, or excuse me, second Timothy chapter three, just for a moment. Second Timothy chapter three. <clears throat> when we start realizing what we need to do <clears throat> when we sin, we have to understand that there's a process that comes into place. In second Timothy chapter three and in verse 16, <clears throat> it says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now God just said right there that the purpose behind Scripture and what it is profitable to us for is correcting bad, sinful behavior. And whether that is a thought process, whether it is something we're doing physically, the idea and the concept is, is that there needs to be a correction of what our heart is doing, what our heart is thinking, what our heart is saying, what our, what is in our heart, what we serve. So we understand that there's a process that we have to go through. And we have to take, take, take note of that, and what we have to do is we have to study it. We have to study it. The Bible says, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
And a lot of people take that and put it into a doctrinal perspective as far as the teaching of how the Bible is constructed and God's plan and so on and so forth. But I also like to look at it from this uh, this perspective as well, rightly d- dividing the word of truth. You know, we, we look at that and what that's showing us is what is truth and what is lie. Because when you go over there in the garden, it was the knowledge, it was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We talk about discernment. Discernment, knowing what is right, knowing what is wrong. And as, you know, Spurgeon said, knowing what is right, knowing what is almost right. Knowing when we're injecting ourselves and injecting sin into a situation that we ought not be. So as we look at this, we begin to realize that there has to be a study into this. We have to realize how are we falling into these sins. We have to realize where these traps are. We have to take preventative action to go about doing this. You know, over there in Scripture, it talks about, uh, in the, 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 the Gospels, specifically the book of Matthew, it talks about if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out, right? Now, for the most part, you know, if somebody had an issue with something, let's say they had an issue with whatever it was with their hand. Their hand was doing something it shouldn't do. Whether it was stealing, whether it was gluttony, whether it's addiction, whether it's, uh, um, uh, you know, typing things into a keyboard that we ought not be, uh, whether it's clicking on a mouse, uh, whatever it is, it's something that's done with a hand. Now, let's say you realize you've got a problem. And you walk into the garage and you fire up the, the skill saw. You're like, well, okay. Well, that's what God just said. If your hand offends you, cut it off, right? But let's, let's understand the concept of what we can take away from that. He's talking about radical amputation. And there is such a, 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 a if you will, a principle in Scripture. And Paul talks more about it, where he says, mortify your members. Kill it. Well, cutting it off definitely kills it. So here's what we enter into. We enter into the mindset of cutting off the sin, the radical amputation. <clears throat> People struggle with uh, pornography on the Internet. Somebody will come and say, I just can't stop looking at it. And then I'll say, well, well, why don't you just go ahead and uh, get rid of your computer then? I can't do that. I need it. Do you really need it that bad? How long have people been operating without computers? And you're like, well, this day and age, I get it, this day and age, but how far are we willing to go to remove sin from our life? Radical amputation. Well, if you need the computer, then go ahead and, and, and if you will, cut it off, cut off the Internet. You need the computer for something else, cut off the Internet. Well, I need that too. <sighs> okay. You know, it is possible to live this life without connectivity to the Internet. And it probably would behoove a lot of us. I mean, there's still people that still don't, in this day and age, that don't know how to get on the Internet. Yeah, but for some reason, there's this massive push to make sure everybody has connectivity to the Internet. Huh. I'll leave my conspiracy theories alone on that one for just a minute because we'll go too far into the mind of Ken Stewart and that so it gets a deep, dark hole real fast. <laughs> but you understand what, what what I'm talking about is how far are we willing to go? Well, I need the Internet. Okay, you need the Internet. Then how about this? How about any time you're doing something on the Internet, you're doing anything that's there, you have somebody sitting down there with you. Well, that's just such a total inconvenience. Are we making excuses for sin or do we really want to kill it? Radical amputation. And this is the process that we have to look at. So when we realize that we've been defeated, when we realize that we lose, we have to take a look at, okay, where did I, how did I fall? Take a moment, step back and go, why? What did I do? Why did I do that? And don't give the excuse to yourself of, well, I'm just an idiot. Because that's not acceptable to God. You actually have to go through a process. 
You have to go through a process. Turn over to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Over there in in, in 2 Timothy, he says that the word of God is profitable for that corrective process. And, and, And when we go through this, looking at all of these things, we find in Colossians chapter 3 what we're supposed to be doing. And here, here's, here's the issue. In verse 1, he says, If then ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on thing above, things above, and on things of the earth. There's the problem. There's the issue. We were affected by something that was not from God. Our affection was set upon it. We sought not the things of Christ, but sought the things of ourself. So we begin to realize, man, there's some major sin going on here. There's a major problem that happens and occurs. We jump down and see a couple other things uh, in, in this passage. <clears throat> in verse 8, he says, But now ye also put off all these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now I want you to notice it says renewed in knowledge. You know, you have to be renewed daily. Now I'm not talking about you need to be saved daily, okay? I'm talking about the concept of you need to renew your mind. You need to renew. Why? Because there's a lot of stuff that's out there. There's a lot of stuff that's out there. The other day I went out and I washed my soul. <clears throat> Sorry. Bad pun. <clears throat> yeah. Exactly. I, my, my, my soul was filthy and dirty. <clears throat> Had road, gri- road grime all over it. So, you know, every time I take it in for service, they give me those little coupons, the caddy car wash and I, or Katie car wash, however you want to pronounce it. I don't care. Uh, anyways, I, 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 so I went over there and I, I washed the car and, uh, it's all nice and, and gleaming and it looks nice. And, uh, I, I, I went home to do something. I parked it outside instead of parking it in the garage. I have to park it in the garage because my soul is sensitive. Um, and <laughs> I, I, I parked it outside for a couple hours. I went inside, did some stuff and came back out. And you know what was all over my car? Pollen. I'm talking pollen. Uh, I'm sitting there going, no wonder I can't breathe. No wonder my right nostril feels like I've been sniffing on sandpaper. And, you know, it's just, I'm like, come on. It was just covered. And I had just washed the car. So you know what I have to do again? I'm going to have to wash the car again. You know what we have to do on a daily basis is we have to realize that our mind is going to be sometimes affected by those things that are in the world. We have to go through the process of renewing our knowledge in Jesus Christ, constantly looking for him, constantly looking for uh, uh, what he's done in our lives, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, and being thankful and being content and having a desire towards him and loving him with all our heart and all our soul and all our mind and all our strength and realizing that we've got to go through that process frequently, sometimes many times a day. So we have to keep this process in mind, understanding that we have to go through this. And again, here's talking about putting off and putting on, just like Ephesians chapter 4 talks about putting off and putting on. So here's here's what happens. We sin, we realize we have to put that off. But just putting it off isn't sufficient. We have to put on Christ. We have to have that mindset. So there comes a point where there's a corrective process. Turn to to Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. Proverbs chapter 24. Take a look at what it says here in verse 16. For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. Notice it's the wicked that fall into mischief and then they don't get back up. Why is that? Because they want to wallow in it. They want to remain in the sin. 
But the man that is just understands that he's going to make a mistake. Understands that he's going to fall and he will fall into sin. But what does he do? He gets back up. You know, people always approach this issue of failure with such aversion. They don't want to fail. Look, you can't learn if you don't fail. When we go through the process of taking a test, sometimes there's things on that test that we realize we may, we, we missed. So what do we have to do? We have to go through the process of looking for, why did I get that question wrong? Why did I get that, that answer? Uh, why did I choose the incorrect one? What, what, what's the real answer? Wherein did I make the mistake? We go back and reread the question. We look at the answer and we go, oh, okay. And we realize that either A, we read it too quickly and made an assumption or something of that nature. Every single year, we have to go through a process of going through this uh, uh, compliance training to make sure, you know, the federal government has these requirements about making sure that people are not engaged in fraud, waste, and abuse, uh, going through the whole process of making sure that nobody is doing something that is considered illegal. And they, they used to, it used to be that you could just sit there and just let it auto-play, and then you could take the test at the end. But then they became very wise to it, then realized that people were playing, you know, that game, and then they made it go through where you have to sit there and click the next slide every single time, and then you have to answer questions in the middle of it, and then you've got to get those right, and then you got to click through the rest of the, the, the course, and then you got to take the test again of all the questions you just answered. So you have to go back and make sure. And there's a certain requirement. There's a certain score. Ten questions. You're only allowed to get two wrong. And when we realize that even the world understands, because you can go back and what it does and what it wants you to do is if you may, you know, fail the course, you have to go back through, take it again. But what it does is it makes you go back through and learn again. Learn again. It's not marked down as a bad thing. It's just marked, hey, you failed the quest, you failed the test. You got to go back through. You got to learn it again because obviously you didn't learn it the first time. I mean, very few of us learn lessons on the first time. I'd like to think that I do, but then I fall into the same thing, and guess what? I realize I didn't learn the lesson the first time. So I have to continually analyze and look at it and start going through this process of realizing what I need to do. And when I'm getting corrected and I'm going to rise again, then I understand that the only way I'm going to rise is if the Lord lifts me up. The only way the Lord is going to lift me up is if I seek his word through his spirit to renew me, to cleanse me, to create a new heart in me, as we saw over in Psalm 51. Go, let's go back over to Psalm 51, which is kind of the pinnacle of what we're talking about here. <clears throat> and we see some things here that happen and occur. <clears throat> and in verse 6, which I didn't read, he says, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. He's realizing that God is going to point out the areas in his life where there's hidden sins or hidden thoughts that are leading us into this sin. He says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Part of the corrective process is God is doing something. Now, again, we're talking in a spiritual nature. He's not going to purposely break your bone. Now, sometimes he does do that. There's a pastor I know, all of a sudden he realized he was, you know, the Lord was calling him to do something. He was a, a, a young man at the time, and uh, he was uh, um, basically decided he was going to start running from God. He decided he was not going to do what God wanted him to do. He wanted to live his own life and do his own thing. Well, God had other plans for him, and God specifically wanted him to do something, and he was refusing to do it. But he realized that God was trying to tell him that he needed to do it when he took and he wrapped a 1957 Chevy around a tree. 
and was able to open the door, walk out without a scratch. So sometimes God does do that to get our attention. Sometimes he has an angel stand in the way with a sword. And sometimes he has that donkey turn around and start talking to us. To, 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 if you will, to do the rebuke. But what we see here is he says, make me near joy and gladness. He wants something back. Look at as we go down a little bit further from this in verse 9. He says, hide thy face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Train me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. Knowing that at one point in time, he had the right spirit, but it needed to be renewed again. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not uh, thy Holy Spirit from me. Back in the Old Testament, that happened. And he says in verse 12, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. Restore. You know what part of the issue with correction is and when we sin is restoration. Restoration. I'm not talking about restoring who we've sinned against, but I'm talking about restoring the relationship with God. Restoring that connection. You know, the corrective process, biblical corrective process that I point out in counseling is this. The very first thing that happens when we realize we need correction is that there's first and foremost, there's got to be a rebuke. There's got to be a rebuke. And sometimes it comes in the form of uh, Nathan the prophet pointing his finger and saying, thou art the man. And sometimes it's a matter of God smiting our own heart or we smoting our own heart, if you will, and realizing we just sinned. But a rebuke comes. And that's where the sin is identified and the sin is called out. Now, a lot of times people don't like having their sin called out. But James chapter 5 says, confess your faults one to another. So at some point in time, we realize we've got to call it out. And we've got to call it out ourselves. So when it's pointed out to us that we sinned, take that rebuke. Take that rebuke. Don't lift yourself up in pride. Don't argue the point. If it's clearly sin from the word of God, take the rebuke. Take it. It's going to get called out. It's going to get identified. The next thing that's going to happen is there's going to be a reproving, a reproof. And what happens with that reproof is it identifies what is sin, why it is sin, and what is right. That has to happen. These are things that we have to do in our own our own process. The Bible says that it's it's good for it's profitable for reproof and for correction and for instruction. So what we begin to realize is okay. So it's going to show me. It's going to prove to me what was wrong, why it violated God's standard, and what the right thing to do should have been. Why? So that next time, we just don't know that it was wrong. We know it was wrong, but we know what the right action is. That's the proper way to teach. You have to teach them what is right, not just teach them what is wrong. You teach them what is wrong and why it's wrong, and then you turn around and say, this is what is right and why it's right. That is a key element of any correction that happens in your life. A reproof process. <clears throat> and then one of the most important things that needs to happen with correction is exactly what happens here in Psalm chapter 51, which is in verse 3, he says, For I acknowledge my transgression, my sin is ever before me against thee, and they only have I sinned. You know what there has to be? There has to be conviction. And you know, many times people people attempt to push the conviction. But if it's a people-pushed conviction... It's not as profitable as a spiritual conviction from the Holy Spirit of God. This is where we have to realize we just sinned against God. We have to be convicted of that sin. We have to, if you will, we've got to own it at this point. 
And part of that starts with understanding conviction. We have to realize that it is sin, and we have to realize that it is an offense. Because somebody that goes through, and you get rebuked, and you get reproved, and there's nobody there, and that person doesn't receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God, which is one of the tasks of the Holy Spirit, and doesn't receive that, then correction cannot move forward. The restoration process is not going to work. Forgiveness isn't going to happen the way it's supposed to. Because confession cannot happen if there is no conviction. What do you can confess? It's like, you know, when you have two kids and one kid slaps the other kid and somebody comes up and says, don't slap the kid. Like, you know, that was wrong. Say you're sorry. I'm sorry. That's not conviction. That's not conviction. Conviction is a work in the heart by the Holy Spirit to show you where your sin is and, if you will, to smite you in such a way that you are hurt because you have hurt that relationship with God. Conviction. Conviction. There has to be a confession. 1 John 1, 9 points that out. Psalm chapter 51 points that out. Not only does the conviction have to be there, there has to be confession. It means there's an understanding of sin. There's an understanding that it is a sin against God. There's an admission of it. And there is, if you will, the acceptance of responsibility and any consequences that occur thereafter. That's what confession's about. I sinned. My fault. Anything that comes because of it, I deserve it. Let's not put this whole, and that's unfair because somebody else maybe got away with it. Let's not do the whole, well, what about them mentality? We're not talking about them. We're talking about us. They may not be listening to the Holy Spirit. They may be unsaved and couldn't hear the Holy Spirit if the Holy Spirit used a megaphone right next to their ear. If you're saved, born again, child of God, look, unless you've completely gone to the way of the world and you are so callous against the things of God and you've shut him out, you're still going to have a little bit of that, if you will, prick that's going to say, you know that's it. But there has to be an acceptance of that. You've got to take responsibility. You've got to own it. He's owning it right now. He's saying, I messed up. I, I fell. I, 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 this is me. But now what does he want to do? He wants to begin to seek, how do I fix this? Well, the only way it's fixed is through Jesus Christ. The only way it's fixed is through the Word of God. We have got to set aside worldly practices in the process of restoring relationships, whether it's with God or whether it's with people. Because that is going to get us hurt every single time and it's going to lead us into another path of sin. We have got to stop doing that. We have to go through the process of looking at it and saying, okay, look, you know, now, now I know that this all occurs and I want to go through this restoration process. You know what I need to do before I do that? I need to start reconciling some things. I need to start reconciling some things. So in order to reconcile, there's got to be repentance. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. The sorrow comes because of the conviction and the confession. And what does it do? It works repentance, which means it's a real drastic, radical change in your life. If you go over and take a look at the book of Jonah, Jonah did not repent really well. He's in the belly of the whale, and what does he do? I'm, you know, it kind of, if you will, the half-hearted sorry about, Lord, you know, I don't really like the situation I'm in. This really is bad. Here's why it's bad. Yeah, I realized I shouldn't have run for, I shouldn't have done those things. I should have done what you told me to do. God vomits him out, but he's still mad and bitter. And he's still upset and angry. And he's angry to the point where he is now, if you will, defending his anger when God says to him, do us how well to be angry for the Lord. And what does Jonah say? I do as well to be angry. Really? Well, let's get to the root of the problem. You're not just angry at the gourd. You're, you're angry at God for smiting the gourd. That was Jonah's problem. 
Jonah had to repent. He didn't do that. Godly repentance means you turn away from that sin. And you turn wholeheartedly to Christ. Meaning, what do you do? You put off and you put on. That's real repentance. And what happens with that is you begin the restoration process. You go through that process of doing what God wants you to do. The restoration where he says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Something was missing in his life. He was missing out on joy. Why? Because sin had taken it away. Sin had interfered with that. You know what else he does? When a person does this, you know, and they go through this reconciliation process and they go through the restoration process, they, 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 they accept those consequences and they accept that there's going to be some things that they're going to have to repair and rebuild and according to God's plan, not theirs. But they also know that they need to seek forgiveness. Part of the restoration process is seeking forgiveness and that's exactly what he's doing here. That's exactly what we need to do according to 1 John chapter, uh, chapter 1 verse 9. We have to ask for that forgiveness. Look, if you offend somebody, you've got to do this process. You've got to realize why you did it, what was wrong about it. You've got to be convicted that it was wrong. You've got to start going through the process of saying, look, I need to reconcile this because I've been given the ministry of reconciliation, so I need to figure out how I'm going to restore it back to what it was maybe even better because of the Lord is involved in the issue now, I have to go through the process and I'm going to have to humble myself and ask for forgiveness. Most people won't ask for forgiveness because of one reason. Pride. They are unwilling to humble themselves. They're unwilling to say, I am the one that's at fault. I am the one that needs to accept responsibility. I am the one that caused this mess. I am the one that needs to change. So when we realize that, we realize that God's teaching us that this is what we have to go through, go through and do. Because again, we see those individuals where that go through and, and have to ask for that, you know, ask for that. And he says, look, you know, here you are. You realize that you've offended somebody. You need to go make it right. You got to go make it right. And here's where the correction comes in. Now you got to correct it, and what do you have to do? You go through the process of replacing the sin with a biblical action. You replace the sin with a biblical action. The liar is no longer a liar when he tells the truth. A thief is no longer a thief when he stops taking and begins to labor with his hands that he may give to those that are in need. Ephesians chapter 4. We have to put out and put aside those things of the world and what we say and what we what comes out of our mouth. And we need to speak things that minister grace unto the hearers. So we don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Talks about that whole process over there in Ephesians chapter 4. So we replace a sinful action with a biblical action. A sinful thought with a biblical thought. We replace the sins of lies that are in our head and in our heart with the biblical source of truth. And then we go through the process of discipline. Now look, discipline is not just punishment. Because the root word of discipline is disciple. What does a disciple do? A disciple is somebody that follows after God. A disciple is somebody that follows after Christ. A disciple is somebody that chooses to follow the path that God has put before them. That's really what discipline is about. And you have to discipline yourself to make sure you're constantly in that process. You have to exercise discipline in a day-to-day basis. If that means you have to wake up every morning and you reaffirm what you're going to do, and I'm not talking about the power of positivity, positivity or positive thinking or, or if you will, speaking or willing it into existence. I'm talking about going through the process of re, 
reading the word of God and saying, look, you know what I need to do? I know that I'm prone to that sin. I'm not going to fall for that sin today because here's what God says about that. Now, if I have to go through and I have to read that on a day-to-day basis to remind me and I have to have post notes on my mirror and post notes on my dash and post notes on my computer at work and post notes, uh, you know, on the dinner plates and post notes in the refrigerator, whatever I have to do, I'm going to make sure. Why is it that God told the nation of Israel, I want you to post it everywhere and I want you to talk about it day and night. I want you to talk about when you rise up and talk about when you lay down. I want you to talk about it with your children. I want you to talk about when you're eating. I want you to talk about it all the time. You do that, pretty soon you start pushing that sinful stuff out. You start pushing the sinful stuff out. And there has to be a forsaking. You have to forsake sin. You know what forsaking is? Forsaking is an abandonment. Forsaking is, if you will, not allowing it to have anything to affect you. Forsaking is where you walk away and say, I will not have any part of it anymore. You have to treat it like it's called. Sin is often related to leprosy. How many of us would go up and shake the hand of a leper? Most of us wouldn't. Most of us would be like, well, I'm gloving up first. <laughs> Most of us would say, well, I'm going, to make a, I'm going to make a bit of a change. I'm not going to do that. But that has to be part of the corrective process. You have to say, I am no longer going to do it. I am no longer going to follow it. I no longer want a part of it. And if you forsake it, you have to go and gravitate and adhere and abide in something else and that is Jesus Christ. That becomes the important part. This is all what happens when we, when we, when we fall. When we're defeated. And we're gonna have some defeats in this life. But let's just follow the process to correct it. So that we understand how we can continue to live for Christ. And not just say, well I'm sinned and I'm now I'm a casualty and I no longer am uh, of any use for God. That's the biggest lie that it will ever be told. I've sinned and I'm no longer of use. What a lie. What a lie. That's a, that's a lie straight from the pit of hell. I've seen God use all sorts of people, regardless of what they've done in the past. And if God can use them, God can certainly use any one of us. But let's go through that process of what God tells us to do when we do fall. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this time. Thank you again for this opportunity, Lord, to talk a little bit about correction and when we fall. <clears throat> I pray, Lord, that we would just have a desire this uh, this morning, Lord, to just um, continue in your paths and continue in your righteousness, that we would please you and honor you. Pray, Lord, that you just continue to meet with us for this 11 o'clock hour, and, Lord, you would speak to our hearts. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.